0: Feral Audio
1: Guys, the holidays are over now. The dead of winter settles in, at least for most of the country. Not here. The Hallmark Channel is no longer running escapist Christmas fare. Grandma's baked goods have run out, leaving only the extra pounds round your midriff. And barring any more bizarre CIA opposition research dumps between when we record this episode and when we release it, an unstable megalomaniac will have taken control of the United States. We're not sure which unstable megalomaniac, but rest assured that we're mostly fucked. It's a well-nigh perfect time to sink into a deep depression. Luckily, I was super prepared for this emotional eventuality. I promised you a part two of The ache, and it's time to deliver. Just make sure that you're home to receive that delivery so that the holiday mail thieves don't make off with the package. jeez. Oh, that happened to a couple people that I know. I thought for sure
0: you were going to start with, fellas, summer's over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is technically true. <laughs> Yes, but also... Summer is very much over. But yet,
2: summer has not yet begun.
1: <laughs> that, oh, my God. You guys are totally nailing this episode right off the bat. <laughs> um, I said back, I think it was November I did part one. I said part two is gonna cover the alternative and indie side of this undefinable and English flavor of depression, which means that ironically I couldn't quite find a home for this song. So here is the achinist, longinest Phil Collins song of all, Take Me Home. It's yeah. about longing for home.
3: I know. Well, if you need a celebrity guide to, to guide you through the egg genre, Phil Collins is your man. He's no stranger to losing things he'll never get back. He's had terrible divorces. There's his hair. No. <laughs> Peter Gabriel. He's lost a lot. And he's
1: my favorite indie artist. Dave, you know I love you, but I'm indie too deep. Let's start the show. Well, since you seem to have an alternative touch, yeah.
2: Let's start her up.
3: This is Beyond Yacht Rock. Woo! We're the podcast that creates musical genres and counts down the 10 greatest hits in those genres. My name is J.D. Riznar. My name is Hollywood Steve. Dave Lyons. Hunter. Say it again. Hunter. Thank Hunter. you. Um, you got your arms in the air like King Kong when you say that. That's right. Like like Coco the, the Gorilla. and it, Listen, we created the genre of yacht rock. So, we like to throw a bone to that genre every single week, and this time I've picked this song by our our new favorite Brenda Russell. This song's called Lucky. Brenda Russell is the first lady, no, the president of yacht rock. This is from her 81 album Love Life. I wish we could do I wish we could do this song uh, further down in the countdown today because we're going to need this kind of pick-me-up. Uh, after we dank, after we, we we take another hike into the dank Steve Hole. It's super dank, bro. Uh, Brenda Russell sings this. She wrote every note, every word. She sings background vocals and she wears a beret on the album cover. It's a home run. <laughs> that is.
2: It's got all the all the uh, the high watermarks of yacht Run. Yeah, berets she, are very underrated.
3: Yeah. The song is yacht called. Uh, lucky it's about a lady who feels lucky to be in a nice relationship and in these terrible times that's where you have to focus who do you have in your life who is awesome focus everything on those people you're lucky to have them feel it hear this song you're on one of the happiest yachts ever to float in this harbor called life And this may be the yachtiest hand clap chorus ever recorded. Check out the hand clap chorus. We got Brenda, we got Jeff Beccaro, Lenny Castro, Neil Larson, Steve Lukather, and they all play their usual instruments as well, making this song a yacht rock bonanza. So wait, they're all credited with hand claps. Yes, and That's they're regular beautiful. and the one final dude on the hand clap chorus is bassist Abraham uh, Laboreal, which we've never talked about, but check out his credits. This guy is the cream of the yacht, giving that bouncy beat to a lot of yacht rock B teamers like Stephen Bishop, Lee Rittenauer, and the Pointer Sisters, and possible, possible yachters, Alessi. Uh, so welcome to the boat, Abraham. His link is purple on my Discogs page now. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, this was recorded with Yacht Perfection by that steely Dan guy, Al Schmidt. He makes microphones smooth. Hey,
2: I feel like there's going to be a lot of Brenda Russell this year. Oh, uh... well, there should be. Probably will be. Yeah. And I wish JD would have uh, put this in a little earlier so the rest of us could have researched it. <laughs> No, it's fine. He did, he
1: did... you hear the list I did, of names like yesterday. He
3: did? No, I, I know. He did a lot of, bunch of li- He has had plenty of time. He did a lot of names. It doesn't matter. I like reading what I wrote. I don't oh, care what you guys have to say.
2: And I like listening to what you wrote, and I really don't care what I have to say. So, we're a good team. Listen. We all would
3: have said the same fact. Is that she right? Where we were a list of names. We <laughs> should have been Just a bunch list. of comments on her beret. You're yeah, right. Yeah. It's a black beret. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. Fits your head perfectly. I like a lady in a beret. She looks like a million bucks in that album cover. Wait, I'm sad now. Steve, what's going on?
1: Hey, we're gonna get into the ache. We're gonna get back into it. Let's uh, quickly review the parameters of the ache. It's a particular flavor of depression and melancholy, marked by wistfulness, nostalgia, and bittersweet longings for times gone by, often the warmth of a home that can never be returned to. It's uh, The feeling is sort of a fondness mingled with well-worn, lived-in grief. And remember, the ache is not emotionally extravagant. It does not wallow in negativity or self-loathing. It's more of a faint, sighing glimmer of the acceptance of mortality. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad it's not a acapella. Yeah.
3: Thank God. It's... I'm going to cheer us all up with so this list. How long are you guys going to wallow in that? Speaking of wallowing... It was fine. Uh, but
0: then <laughs> the, then I did doo wop the next one, which What's is like hard acapella. Yeah, that episode was kind of
1: all over the place. Yeah.
3: Hey Steve, will you re- repeat all the all the ache words? Yeah, we're listening to one right
1: now. Uh this is this is Momus with the sadness of things. And the chorus has one of the Japanese the Japanese phrase for the ache, which is mono no aware. Uh, a few other words. In Portuguese saudade. Welsh it's erith, German it's Zinzut. Uh, there's no word for it in English, like I said, but a few other cultures have tried to name it for themselves. In Riznarski, it's...
0: <laughs> oh,
1: that's a different pronunciation to... than last time. I thought you were about to kung fu me, and I threw up a block. Mm-hmm. that means the ache. Oh, I get it now. So this song was Momus' biggest hit in his home country. Uh, he's, he's Scottish. Uh, if you've never heard of him, he's... Sort of a cross between the foppish dandies of old and the horniest pervert in your graduate literature program. I know him. He's got a beard, long hair. I know him. He's got an eye patch. Yeah. Uh, You know, he's mostly whispering poetry in the verses, which is kind of why I didn't put it on the list. But when it hits that chorus, you can hear exactly the feeling that we're looking for with this genre. Uh, The music was written by Ken Morioka, a former member of the Japanese electronic band Soft Ballet, who passed away in 2016.
3: Steve! (laughs) <laughs> yes, swear. JD. Every single long paragraph you write ends in a death. Is if the long paragraphs weren't grueling enough, you stab us with a death at the end of every single one. I'm highly attuned
1: to the depression inherent in the genre. And wants
2: us to sort of uh, be sucked into it.
3: <laughs> no, the sad thing is the, the engineer's wife died 13 years after recording this song. She was hit in the head with a hammer by, by a hobo. You
0: know what I want to know. All things must come to an end. What I want to know is if there's a soft ballet, what's a hard ballet? Hmm. Just,
1: just doesn't sound. Deep. It's when the it's when the the dude dancer's tights are real tight and he's got a boner.
3: Ah. Um, So, so Steve, um, for Dave's mom, Mm -hmm. can you please explain the difference between Roots, which was your last Ake episode, and Indie, which is today?
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah, I forgot to put that in, so thank you for reminding me. Uh, The Roots episode, I kind of did, like, country and folk and kind of guitar finger-picking type stuff. Uh, We heard a lot of, like, really depressive, alcoholic, addictive-type personalities in that show. Uh, Indie is going to be more of the, like, underground rock of the 80s and 90s. And we're still going to have some addiction and depression here, um, some mental illness. But a lot of this also, um, we're going to get a special subgenre of The ache, which is basically just the I'm bad with girls subgenre. We've got a lot of kind of just um, awkward, introverted personalities who are making a lot of this music. So sort of people aching for a personality that they never had. Uh, yeah, a personality and companionship that they don't know how to get.
3: They feel oh. isolated. Okay, now, Steve, for Dave's mom, can you jerk off her son? Uh, hold on, hold on. We'll do that off uh, off air. Okay. What? Wait if, for his mom? If, shut up. That I took just, a turn. Yeah. No, no, listen. You know, you can see when you see Marianne. When I'm not going to do it for her. I'm going to do it for him. I know, but you see her and you go, hey, Marianne, I jerked off Dave for you. And she goes, oh, Steve, that's so nice of you. Did yeah. he like it? My mom I worry me. about him not, ha- not having pleasure to 24-7. My mom wants me to be loved, although I, I feel like... Your wife does a damn good job, Yeah, but, she's, but and my mom is, she, bad my is she here right now? Your mom would be very concerned you're not receiving pleasure right now. Did she call you? <laughs> <laughs> now that's what I call a hard ballet. Steve, do you want to get into the countdown now? Well, Dave, I want yeah, to say first, okay. we challenged Dave to be more real yeah, and personal it, for it part It wasn't two. enough
2: for Steve to just suck all the fun out of us The that last November with the egg part one. He's going to do it again, so I will be sharing a very real personal story of depression for each song.
1: Thank you, Dave. I want to see how personal this gets.
3: Ah, Here we go. This sounds like Roots.
1: No, this is that grunge band. Okay. Uh, this is Alice in Chains with "Don't Follow." Uh,
3: I they, don't hear the indie.
1: <laughs> you're going it's, it's technically alternative in indie, but that's too long of a title. Okay, it was so
2: indie. weird to hear Steve's voice come out of your mouth. Oh <laughs> my was, god!
1: <laughs> it was a really good impression, JD. Right. Is is
0: this in the tenth spot because it is
1: grunge? Yes. Because it's intense.
3: intense. Okay, Steve Intensities could, intense, intense, intense didn't cities. Work. didn't work. Uh, Cut Dave off with some fun facts. Alice
1: and Chain started their career with a weird pattern of releasing a full length electrified grunge album, followed by a mostly soft acoustic EP. And this is from their second such EP, 1994's Jar of Flies, which was the first EP ever to debut at number one on the pop charts.
3: Uh, it's a, yeah, it's subtle. a roots. It's a root
1: song. It kind it has got a harmonica in it. I probably could have switched it out Now that I think about it,
0: I was a little depressed when I found out. Despite this, made the 1990s. Uh, it was not
3: John Popper on harmonica.
2: Isn't isn't that some bullshit? Yeah,
0: it was David uh,
3: Atkinson. Uh, he should be like the like the like the Jay Graydon of harmonica. You just put him on everything. Who? you hired harmonica. David Atkinson. Oh, or no, 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 John Popper. the good one. John, John Popper. Popper? Yeah. yeah, the guy who has a fishing vest with all the harmonicas. In it. Oh, yeah. the, the, this, so was a, cool. this was a couple years before the jam bands uh, scene got really big. Does John Popper give you the runaround, or is that a different one of those harmonics? Yeah, he, yes, he gives us oh, the he runaround. He did, and he will. Great.
0: <laughs> I'm
1: just saying, it made me a little depressed. David Atkinson. It fits the song, though. You don't want too much chops on this. It'll kill the mood. It'll kill the depressing mood. Most Alice in Chains songs, to me, seem like they're about heroin addiction, regardless of who wrote them. Jerry Cantrell wrote this one by himself, but it still sounds to me like a song about Lane Staley letting a loved one off the hook for taking care of him during an addiction he knows he'll never kick. And personally, I associate it with my first ever breakup, which happened right around the time this was released. And this really hit the spot for depressing music to mope to and figure out why I was so socially incompetent.
3: Now, I feel like this is kind of some boilerplate ache. It doesn't seem that, like, I feel like these guys are deep enough into the the corporate machine at this point that it's kind of like washed of all genuine emotion. Except, of course, it's a grunge band, sass. Yeah. i put this, uh, but i put this like just one step above Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Pepper as far as like... Addiction songs? Addiction songs with like phony baloney emotional pull to them. And
2: that's what depresses me about what you're saying, about this song and that. It's, it's bullshit face. addiction. It's really famous pop bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers are seen anything more than the shit that they are. Not Alice in Chains, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, also, they recently took the A Team off Netflix, <laughs> and I only got to the middle of season four. Now I'm watching MacGyver like a champ. <laughs> really, really fucking bummed me out. I had that with Miami Vice too.
0: Right? <laughs> Check out the NBC.com app. Your depression might, might get
2: lifted. Well, thank Maybe. you. Oh. Thank you for helping me through You're hard, time. hard time. This very tough time.
1: That was very personal, Dave. This is Sunny Day Real Estate. Seems like an ironic name. (laughs) Did you hear that breath he took? (laughs) He was like,
3: that's how you know it's going to be a real good long paragraph. paragraph." I I, I shouted over the name of the song. It's Television.
1: Yes, it's Television by Sunny Day Real Estate, which is an ironic name, isn't it? Yeah. J.D., did your thing
0: come out? Oh, I know. That's no. part of the song. Yeah.
3: It's, it's indie, man. They use the alternative production techniques.
0: It sounded like when your headphones come out.
3: Anyway, this is one of the, first,
1: the earliest bands to be tagged as emo outside of the deepest punk underground. Uh, Sunny Day Real Estate's early sound was sort of a mix of D.C. post-hardcore, like emo Godfather's Rites of Spring. Seattle grunge because that's where they were from and some early 90s indie rock. This is from their fourth and final album The Rising Tide from 2001 where they went to a much more polished and prog-heavy sound that alienated some of their old emo fans. But it should also be noted that their old fans were the part were in part the type of emo fans who like to refer to guitar
3: arpeggios as the Twinkly Bits. Hey, you know, this guy sounds like... Uh, Dan, is it Dan Behar or Dan Bajar? I think it's Behar. I think it's Dan Beejer. Dan Beejer from Destroyer and New Pornographers. It's like a less sassy version of him.
1: I don't actually think it's Beejer. I just wanted to say Beejer. Of course. It's, it's Behar. Okay. You know
2: what pre- really depresses me about this? No. Emo is a shit term used to describe bands like Blink-182 and At the Drive-In. It first emerged as a term in the 90s to describe already established bands like these guys and Jawbreaker. Rites of Spring, Embrace, and pretty much any great band that ended up establishing the genre never considered themselves emo and fucking hated the term. Half of the badass band, half of the badass guys from Rites of Spring went on to form Fugazi with Ian Makai from Embrace and, of course, Minor Threat. And actually, that makes me a little less depressed. fuck emo.
1: I want to ask, was Blink-182 really considered emo? Not by me, but do a Google search of emo. And then click image and see what comes up. Hmm. It's, it's, it, it's girls with
2: like a little bit of green in their hair and a little bit of eye makeup.
1: Because when I think of emo lyrics, I think of like the highly personal word salad kind of poetry. I don't think of like enema of the state or take off your pants and jacket.
2: Um, I believe Blink-182 has a song called Emo, and it sort of turned everybody into thinking that's what emo was.
0: Hmm. It's awful. You know, Okay. this, this has nothing to do with what you guys were talking about, but when Steve said that this is prog heavy... I just something clicked in me, and this sounds like Rush. Yeah, and, yeah, it sounds like. like if Rush Lee didn't suck. Yeah, it's a. It, I never heard it before until you, you said that out
1: loud. Anyway, sorry, that's a total. My head exploded again. Boom just like that your head exploded uh, the lyrics of this song are about a dude who doesn't seem to be able to tell the difference between television and his girlfriend which is a problem that many of the ladies of Los Angeles have to face on the dating scene here
3: can, so, I, can I get my impression of this song yeah or do you want to say your point first? wait it? let's let Hunter ask okay. his question about I just, that
0: I don't know what exactly that means is like that it's an unrealistic ideal shaped
1: by images on the boob tube no it's like if they go on a date with a dude he won't have anything to talk about besides television Ah. to which he is already married and with
3: which he maintains an intense emotional relationship. Gotcha. I think that this guy has the ache for the time his lady looked at him and touched him with warmth (laughs) Uh, for when he had warm, real feelings for her. Now he has the same emotional connection with her as he has the TV and he longs for the human feelings that they've lost. That's what I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was yeah, that, a good that was a good point about all the
3: warmth. You read yeah. that on Wikipedia. No. I, I saw have that. an analytical mind. That's why I heard Jizz jokes in Jim Steinman <laughs> <Yeah>. music. Is <laughs> because it's about Jizz because of my analytical mind. I know what songs are about.
2: It's it wasn't my... it wasn't JD's fault, it was Jim Steinman's fault is for there,
3: writing all those songs about Jizz. Is there more on this song, Steve? Now it's over, we can move okay. on. Okay. Oh, and I want you to know, if I'm going like, is there more in this song? It's because I have to quick decide whether to start it over or to move on. It's not to rush you. It's not to rush you guys. I, I was completely, like Lee, completely we're letting, aware of we're that. We're letting this podcast breathe now. Yeah. Letting it go long. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. Okay. Stretching out, taking our so shoes Steve, wait. Off. Hey, wait, wait, it's number eight. Wait five seconds okay. and start your fun fact. Okay.
1: And number eight is Yola Tango with Autumn Sweater. Yola Tango is one of America's longest-lived indie rock bands. They released their first album in 86 and are still going strong, a little less strong. But they're still going today... Uh, They're centered around the husband and wife team of Ira Kaplan on guitar and Georgia Hubley on drums. Kaplan actually started out as a rock critic in the early 80s before branching out into actually making music. So much respect to him for me. This
2: fascinates me. A rock critic that decides to put his or her own music into the world. I recently picked up an album by Lester Bang's old band. I wasn't even really aware it existed. It's called Birdland, and it's pretty great. Oh, okay. And uh, for the listeners, I'm uh, looking for more critics turned uh, rock musicians, if you have any. Was every song about complaining
3: about phonies?
2: I would assume. I don't know yet. I've and got his two. Is Lord getting angry at him? I, I have two and that's all I need to start a genre.
3: I thought Yola Tango was a rap troupe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
2: JD, <J-E, laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you could have sounded any whiter <laughs> with the way I, like maybe if you weren't Phil Collins in there.
1: I thought Yola Tango was a hey.
3: rap group. Hey fellas. No he said troop, didn't he? <laughs> Like T R O U P. Did you say troop? I said troop. Yeah. Why do I think they're a rap troop? Because they have yo in their name. Yes. Yo. <laughs> la tango was on. <laughs> yo la tango is
1: Spanish for I got. It. It's what uh, baseball yeah, players say. Yeah, it's not like Dr. Dre and Ed Lover hosted that it's,
3: show. It's on not MTV. a
2: predicate to like like as one would see in MTV raps.
3: What's the rap? Yo La Tengo! What's the rap group that, that that sounds like that? The name sounds like this. Yo MTV Raps. No. <laughs> Who does ham and eggs? Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. No, no, it's not Tribe Called Quest. Okay, I'm sorry. Talk about the ALS De A La, la, soul, De la you know? soul! That's it, De La uh, Soul! Okay, okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Maybe you saw De La Soul on Yo MTV Raps.
3: <laughs> Yo La Tengo, yeah, okay. This is dumb.
1: Yo La tango. Uh <laughs> Their main influence was the Velvet Underground. They even played that band in the movie I Shot Andy Warhol. They had a female drummer just like the Velvet Underground and everything. Um, But because they're music nerds at heart, they draw on a pretty wide range of influences. They're known for their numerous and unpredictable cover choices as well. They got, I think, at least a couple covers, all covers albums out that are pretty good. Do they cover any rap? Not to my knowledge. Uh, They're I not the bare naked ladies. I think they covered a De La Soul album. I can't win. Okay, no. sorry. Keep going. Uh- Um, Noisy guitar freakouts are usually often a big part of their sound, but they also have a lot of quieter, dreamier moments like this one. This is basically just an organ with drums. Classic combination, guys, by the way. Organ with drums, uh, plus, you know, a little bit of bass in certain parts. Um, Autumn Sweater is from 1997's I Can Hear the Heart Beating as one, which is generally regarded as their masterpiece album.
0: So, my, my thing with a lot of, like... East coasty shoegazy music is that it's it feels like an emotional void, like when you sing in a soft whisper tone. I can't tell if they're if it's like important or not, or, or what the meaning is because every word sounds the same, and the background music is often monotonous. Uh, it's I, dreamy I, I, and hypnotic. I know. I understand you can kind of lose yourself in it, but it also I think it loses a little power in the process. It's like analog techno.
3: You
1: we're yes. not going for power here, baby. We're going for ache. We're going for.
2: Yeah, this this song makes me ache.
1: A few weeks oh, ago, oh, tell the story, Dave.
2: I blew out the crotch in my favorite pair of boxers. Oh. I got them in Paris when I was in my 20s and my my balls just hung out of the bottom like a like a fleshy double punching bag. It made me real sad. I bet. But I'm learning how to deal with my depression I went over to meundies.com and used the code feral and got some new ones that are super comfortable and the shipping was free. We're just our sponsor. Are we integrating the product placement into the show? No, I just—they're uh, made of modal. Man, it's softer oh, okay. than cotton. Whoa, for, Dave, were so- those your heart underwear? No, stripes. The heart ones blew out. God, we must have still been in college.
1: Um, Saw a lot. Great. I want to quickly about the lyrics. There's a debate over whether these describe the beginning or the end of a relationship between two clearly awkward people. But uh, we're talking about waves in the verses, and we have the classic ache trope. Autumn because as summer slips away into winter and death looms for all living creatures, all we can do is perform the sacred pagan rites to ensure that we will all be born anew in the springtime. Come to the Sabbath, my friends.
3: Right, I like my impre- interpretation of this song, too, yeah. so I'm going to see if I can get Go for it, topic. yeah, go for it. Summer's uh, so I think this is about a song that's been going... I think it's about a relationship that's been going on for a while. The initial euphoric spark is passed. They're at a party where they don't want to be. She might be more social than him, and he leans on her emotionally. So he sounds so sad, like... Oh, I I, I don't think she's into me anymore. Or I don't think she's into him being sad anymore. Like, he's certainly not taking charge. That lyric, wouldn't that be better? Like, her answer is probably no. I want to talk to my friends. He definitely does not sing the song like a social person. No, and I think um, the time she liked his awkward personality has passed, and he knows it, and he aches for when she'd coddle him. And at least that has to be with the song about otherwise. Why are we listening to it? It's think because, for the she, past, right? I think if it was the beginning, it would be a spring sweater, not an autumn sweater. Yes. Great point.
1: It's the end.
2: Yeah. Yay. Things are about to die. Yeah. Summer's over, fellas. <laughs>
3: You know a great, achy, depressing, stupid, indie thing to say would be? On June 22nd, summer's over. <laughs> yeah. One summer. Thousands of summers. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'll save, it? save it, it for the solstice, thought... JD. Okay. Uh,
1: this is Sebado with Soul and Fire at number seven. Um, that last song had a real strong hint of the I'm Bad With Girls subgenre. Uh, this one may jump into that trope with both feet. This is the opening track on 1993's Bubble and Scrape album. Uh, It's one of Lou Barlow's defining sensitive indie guy breakup songs. And in fact, this was such a good breakup song that it convinced his ex-girlfriend to get back together with
3: him at the time. Do you know what I ache for? What do you ache for? I ache for the days when you can write a song like this full of breakup cliches, but if you sing it quiet and shy enough and that like with sloppy sounding instruments you could be dubbed a great genius of rock and roll. Actually those days are probably not over. I could probably I could probably do that. Yeah that's, yeah, that's shoot gazy
0: stuff. Yeah. Man. This uh, is it shoot gazy? Well it's this is lo-fi. It's but it's so it's kinda of drones. Yeah. yeah. Just okay, kinda I like, see what you're
2: saying.
0: Um whenever I hear Sabadoa, I'm, is it Sabadoa or Sabadoa? Sabadoa, Sabadoa. Seb- Whenever Sabado. I hear Sabbath It doesn't matter Whenever I hear it I always get a little that so Does It doesn't sound A little more like Sam Hayden Totally different bands Yes, yes Very but I, much I always feel like There's going to be some A lot of devil double, double References in it There never are
1: No Just because they're close alphabetically Doesn't The Sabbath Sounds like a Like the Sabbath Oh okay I see what you're saying a, Yeah no It's yeah, just a nonsense it is word You
2: expect something More out of them And they never quite deliver
1: Lou Barlow of Sebado started out as the bass player in Dinosaur Jr. Uh, he played on their classic You're Living All Over Me album, composed the experimental lo-fi sound collage Polito? Polito? Not sure.
3: polido Yes,
1: that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was famously kicked out of the band in 1989 by frontman Jay Maskis. I think it's Maskis. Uh, it yeah. Yes. Uh, Mascus was and was an, is an intensely introverted control freak. Like, he makes me look like Bill Clinton by comparison. <laughs> um, Mascus told Barlow that the band was breaking up and then immediately reformed it with the replacement bassist he had already lined up for their scheduled Australian tour. And Barlow learned about this from MTV
3: shortly afterwards. Oh. That Adam Curry broke the news. Oh, I, I, I killed him being that. Just imagine, like, Adam Curry yes. talking to this sad sack.
2: <laughs> yeah, some dude sitting in his apartment in Los Angeles.
3: And then he just, like, walks over to, like, you follow Adam Curry after this conversation where he breaks it to Lou Bartle, he's, kicked, he's been kicked out of Dinosaur Jr., and then Adam Curry walks over to some 1989 Fox and goes, that guy's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm Adam fucking Curry. And he lights up a cigarette. And makes some smoking jokes.
2: Gets his dick sucked by 500 hot ladies good improv right
0: yeah, yeah. that was great yeah, I, I was wondering where you were going to go with that
2: went exactly where I thought it was yeah it went real easy <laughs> That's not a lot of
3: thought Dave was feeling really Dave was bringing up every depressing story of his life today so you can tell his energy's down yeah, he's exactly. really bringing himself down i kind of bummed let's restart
1: uh, this Yeah, restart this okay. uh, the epilogue to that is actually not depressing for once uh, Barlow eventually signed up for a Dinosaur Junior reunion in 2005 and they've since
3: done four more albums together without breaking up yet Sounds like a needed-the-money situation. Like, all the guys singing all the guys singing with their old bands again, they're signing with their old bands again. This band screwed this guy royally. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's get back together. I might need the money, I don't know. We went and yeah, saw that, remember,
0: Dave? What's that? We went and saw them, right? Who? Dinosaur Jr., when they got back together. No. That wasn't you? No, in fact, oh, I've got I a story about that coming up.
2: I had saw, saw him um, a few months ago.
0: Yeah, well, I saw him on the when they came back. Divine. So
2: they worked on wow. me, JD. They made money, but man. D- but David, has- no, I had a yeah. depressing story. I have another depressing story that Hunter just made more depressing because apparently I wasn't invited. <laughs> uh, Dave, tell your depressing this story band, for this song. This band always made me so depressed. I'd be in Flipside Records in Kalamazoo, Michigan, looking for Screeching Weasel albums. I'd get to the S section, and when I got to Screaming Trees, I'd hold my breath, and when the next album was Sebado usually the one with the kid in the toilet, I think oh, yeah, it was called Cake Hunt or something. Cake Sale.
3: Cake Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: should have been called <laughs> Cake <K-Cunt. laughs> <laughs>
2: I'd get really depressed, man. For like minutes. You know what? It was really bad. You know, it
3: was a really with... depressing story, dude. <laughs> you know what? I'm a, this year I'm coming up with a genre called Cake Hunt. I have no <laughs> idea what it's gonna be, but I'll find it. I'll fucking find that cake hunt genre. Bingo! It will make a button! You know the album cover, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's like you
1: like, a chubby kid with like his butt crack on the album cover.
2: Yeah, like digging around
1: in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was called Cake Hunt. <laughs> I'll wrap this up real quick. Uh, Lou Barlow suffered from social anxiety most of his life. Uh, so he kind of typifies the awkward loner I. Hinted at in the the intro, uh, he also had depression, low self esteem, general feelings of unlikability. Uh, he's done an interview with Psychology Today about it, which you can go and uh, Google if you want to read in much more detail.
3: Steve put a link on this piece of paper if you in want. In case to come any of you guys wanted to through read through the podcast and look at my paper and type it in, including two zero one five zero nine slash <laughs> the redemption dash bar. You can just Google it too. Yeah.
1: So, of course, I'm going to put Sevado and Dinosaur Jr. back-to-back.
3: Uh, this track... Bad idea. This is why I don't put Madonna and Mariah Carey together in Countdown. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I want to... Someone's going to get shit-smeared mm-hmm. on them. The podcast works
1: better when there's fiction, so... <laughs> it's going to be Dave. T- uh, this is from the aforementioned You're Living All Over Me album from 87. The song title is Ray Zan, spelled with S-A-N-S, so it's not like the fruit. I have no idea what that title means, but the one thing um, I am pretty I actually, sure...
2: actually, I know where that comes from. Oh, where does it come from? Uh, he misspelled the uh, title of his favorite sitcom, Roseanne.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful you've been doing more research lately, Dave. Well... I have time. <laughs> uh, what I am sure of, though, Dave, is that a band lined up with both Jay Maskus and Lou Barlow is probably the most socially inept band of all time.
3: That makes more sense than what I said. But Jay Maskus knows how to rock. Fuck yeah! Listen to this yes. song. He's a fellow Joseph, as you mm-hmm. as you may know, like and Mangala. Yeah, he knows how to. <laughs> <What>? uh, <laughs> like Mangala. Time.
1: It's mate? a Nazi doctor. <laughs> <laughs> what? Too soon? It's Joseph with an F. Yeah, that's a different That's a kind. different Joseph. Oh,
3: sorry. It's a my, different kind. My bad. <laughs> You're laughing now, but like, after the time this is recorded, Trump's Joseph Mengele probably has you off at some camp somewhere. Probably.
0: Yeah. That was a funny joke, like when... He said that when we went and saw Dinosaur Jr. that one time, (laughs) 2005,
1: great time that night.
3: Steve, what are, you, what are your feelings on this song? Okay,
1: so I'll talk about the lyrics a little bit. It's uh, it's a lovesick, shy dude who falls instantly in love with some girl that he can't talk to, like, at all. He spends the whole song pining for her because he's bad with girls. He's just going to show up in places she'll be and then stare at her and hope that she magically falls in love with him, preferably without him ever having to actually speak to her. So this is more
3: in the I'm bad with humans genre. Of, uh, of the ache. I feel like Autumn Sweater was, uh, like, one of those I'm Bad With human songs, too. That's a very reasonable theory, I feel.
0: You know Dinos- what? Uh, Dinosaur Jr. was one of those bands that I always... I would rock out to them and just assumed that they were talking about some sort of emotional malaise. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: and, and they, this and guitar solo is fantastic, by yeah. the way. I you know. would enjoy the hell out of it. No, at one point, like I was like this dinosaur junior band that people were into ten years ago. I don't want to get into them. on a bunch of albums. Really enjoyed listening to them. Yeah, they yeah, really, yeah.
1: Good. they they do tend to kind of blend together after a while. But a
3: lot of the music is really, really good. But and, it's and great. he can really fucking play guitar. It's great music for writing too, or any kind of focused art too, because it's it all blends together. Yeah, this
2: is what the uh, the kids at Portage Central High School uh, listen to in the, the art classrooms. Why are you hanging out there? Uh, well, I had to walk by it to get to my oh. my BMW. Oh, you mean <laughs> 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 to get to my 1986 Ford Escort station wagon? Just, just keep with the
3: BMW myth. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: now, I loved. I I have an old thermal. Uh, shirt from high school that's maroon and just has dinosaur jr embroidered in the front of it it was one of my favorite shirts
1: <laughs> steve more and to say oh yeah uh that's, that was a
2: depressing story No, yeah, i was getting to my depressing story let's restart this one are you gonna go steve or am i gonna tell my depressing story
1: let's steve i'll go, go a little bit uh I'll, t- I'll tell a, little, a short little story about my personality. Like, I used to relate to this song more than I'm comfortable with, leaving the creepiness aside. Uh, my mom used to tell me this story about how once when I was in preschool, uh, like three or four years old, I was best friends with this little girl named Mariah. And one day I said something out loud, like words, and Mariah was so shocked that she started running around exclaiming, Stephen can talk! Stephen can talk! And this was your best friend. That was my best friend. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, like, the fact, like, just me now is pretty much a a living miracle.
3: You should go back in time and give little Steve a paragraph to read to Mariah. <laughs> I probably could have read it at, uh, at about three or four. And then when you stop, she'll go, Stephen can stop reading paragraphs. Stephen can stop reading paragraphs. Mariah, if you're out there, <laughs> I got a paragraph to read you.
2: <laughs> so about ten years ago, uh, Jay Mascus and the Fog were doing a show at Satellite, which was within walking distance of where I lived. And I was positive there was going to be a Secret Dinosaur Jr. reunion show, and and it was sold out. And I couldn't get in. I called all what little contacts I had. So finally, I took it upon myself. I grabbed a guitar case, and I walked down to the venue, and I tried the old I'm with the band thing at the door. Yeah, I just tried to walk right in. Turns out I was right. It was a reunion, and it also turned out the door guy was onto my ruse, and I didn't get in. Talking about the pressing, I walked home in the dark. Underneath Sunset Boulevard yeah. Guitar case in my hand Not getting to see Dinosaur Jr. And then tonight I found out that Hunter was there And didn't invite me mm-hmm. Yeah, We didn't go to the Troubadour To see Oh no We did Yeah we saw Dinosaur Jr. At the Troubadour I'm talking about their Surprise secret re- reunion show At the satellite See
3: Hey Hey <laughs>
2: And now I'm not depressed
3: anymore hey. <laughs> That that resolved We're missing a Lee Rittenhour concert In L.A. tonight <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. I want to tell one quick story about more uh, social incompetence.
1: Uh, I'll tell the story of how Dinosaur Jr. was formed because it's very similar to how Sebado was formed. Uh, Jay Mascus was playing in a band called Mogo with uh, Lou Barlow, uh, future Dinosaur Jr. drummer Murph, and a singer named Charlie Nakajima, who uh, Mascus had been in a hardcore band called Deep Wound with. Uh, after one show as Mogo, Maskus asked Barlow and Murph to form a new band with him to be called Dinosaur and did not tell Charlie Nakajima about it. So, I feel like this is a perfect time to announce I'm going to form a brand new podcast. It's going to be called Besides Yacht Rock. It's only going to have two of you. Uh, every episode, we're going to invent an arbitrary musical genre, count down the top ten songs in it, and we'll have a feature called Yacht Rock Whoa. Fan Appeasement. Whoa. Whoa. We'll have a smooth musical selection at the start of each episode. Stay tuned to Feral Audio for exciting new developments with Wait. this brand new, totally new, different project.
3: Wait, Steve, you're not supposed to announce that in front of Hunter. Adam Curry is supposed to tell him. <laughs> you guys, I already know. I know I'm the Barlow of the
1: group. Guys, it's I, fine. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I called dibs. Uh, on not being in that one. What I'm actually going to do is tell each of you individually <laughs> that you're the one who's out, and then I'm going to take over the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast all by myself. God help us. Oh God. There's a lot of truth to that. We should.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: We should let him do that one day. See I, what do, goes. I, I do sense a mild coup coming from Hollywood yeah. City week after yeah. week. I've learned a lot watching politics this year. Yeah. Anything else on this one? No, I think we've pretty much run that in the ground. Let's go to the movies. Make
2: 50
3: songs from big these soundtracks sounding
0: in a track and here we go fifty songs from 50 soundtracks we got America on the run That's right we still got
3: America on the run so get going oh oh so I ache I ache you know I ache for levity in these episodes and sometimes it comes I love the opening of this song. It anticipates greatness and then the song delivers. Hunter, what, so what is this, Hunter? Hey,
0: you picked a great song. Wait, oh, this is mine. It's so good. Uh, this is, I talked about it last week. This is Cindy Lauper. Prick tease. Uh, I left this, uh, this is The Goonies Are Good Enough. I left this off the new op list to get a Billy Joel reference in there. Uh, but this is really Cindy's new op hit. Um, it's from The Goonies. Uh, in addition to new up this is uh, maybe the greatest plot rock song of all time uh, at least it's the greatest plot rock music video without a doubt in this amazing so video a- yes I've got some things to say about the song later on that's fine. Been a- we'll wait but I, I want to talk about this video music video because I get to talk what about whatever I want <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Shake the okay. papers. Get to it. So what? you basically got a continuation of her, her girls just want to have fun uh, video mashed with her rock and wrestling storyline set to the plot of the Goonies. Lou Albano is her father. Wendy Richter is her friend. Roddy Piper, the Iron Sheik, Classy Freddie, Blassie, Nikolai Volkoff, and the fabulous Moolah are going to take their business. And she goes on a Goonie hunt with the Goonies to save yes the goonies to save everyone uh steven spielberg the bangles and andre the giant all make cam- cameos did i mention it was a two-parter
1: the and video is a two-parter
0: you don't remember this no oh god i don't think i've ever seen the video oh it's well, you should watch the video um there's a famous octopus, octopus, octopus scene. Octopus scene, yeah, the
2: octopus scene. In in the movie, The Goonies. Um, yeah, you can see a clip of the, the deleted scene.
0: Yeah, but okay, here's the thing. So there's a, that famous octopus scene that some people claim was in the original release, or some people claim was in the TV version. You can see the deleted scene on YouTube. Now, I couldn't find a confirmation that it was ever in either, but that octopus is in the video. So maybe that's what everyone's thinking about. Take a look at it. Um, yeah, I wrote. I wrote something about this. I, I just the second half of this video. I, I barely have any memories of it, but I do remember watching the first part and getting excited because it's so kid-friendly, but then there's a to be continued and they're like, what is going to happen to this Cindy Lauper? <laughs> and and then it would stop every single fucking time, and it, I was always disappointed. I, I think I maybe only saw the second half maybe once as a kid, because they never played it. The and Go- that,
3: I called that the ache. The Goonies were so infamous <laughs> for teasing you about sequels, the movies did. Like, The movie did. I feel like a year after they announced in the news there was going to be a sequel, and I got super excited as a little kid. This music video did. But I have have a theory about this song. Um, What is my theory? Oh, I think Cyndi Lauper had this song called Good Enough that had nothing to do with the Goonies, and then Steven Spielberg showed up at her house and vomited cash all over her couch. And she was all... If you want me to make a song for this movie, I'll show him. And to get revenge on him for puking money on her couch, she just recycled a song. So the video may be plot rock, but the song is the least plot rocky soundtrack song I think I've ever heard that contains the the title of the movie, which I think they slapped on.
0: And, uh... Well, that may go fall in line with why she hated
3: it so much because she felt it. It doesn't make sense it artistically. Doesn't... Didn't fit with her. It's a perfectly good song called "Good Enough." It's just the title is "Goonies Are Good Enough," and the oh. "R" is in quotation marks because it's like the toys are us. R. Yeah, it's
2: it's weird. Guys, before we move on, I'd like to point out that I think Sloth looks an awful lot like Eric Trump, and I think it's that sort of inbred upper lip. Thing that he has. That's it. That's Dave, I just wanted Dave, to get oh, that Dave, in there.
3: Shh. What? The Trumps are great. <laughs> Come on. You're going to the work. You have camps. a wife. You have a wife. To work shit. camps, buddy. Oh shit. The You're Trumps right. are fucking great. Okay. No. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. He looks. Take like that bu- back. He looks like butthead. Eric <laughs> Trump. No. Like no. He's handsome, like Tom Brady. He looks like a. Cre- Eric <laughs> Trump is handsome like Tom Brady. He you looks, have a wife.
2: He looks like a creepy extra in a oh, vampire movie. Oh my god. Movie. Okay. Nice knowing
3: you anybody wants to take Dave's place next week, feel free. Can I? Yeah. Eric Trump, oh, are I'm you available? The, I'm
0: back on the show.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> now we do advertisements. Hey! Hey! <laughs> Way to turn it on. everybody. Gonna do a t-shirt run soon. So get your out of stock sizes today. There's no telling when we'll be doing another t-shirt run. So this may be your last chance to get that lady small for a long, long time. We'll do a run February 1st, we'll order it up. So get your orders in before then. Um, Oh, and there's this recording project out there called W-E-R-E-W-I-L-F. There's periods in between. It's an acronym. Is that what you call it? Yes. Depends. What's the stand for? Werewolf. Uh, Their members, the members' names are Chris Gray and Peter James. And guess who sent in today's bumpers? That's right, Werewolf. Ah, Werewolf. I never would have guessed. Yeah, um, but actually, what's interesting, if you play all of today's bumpers, one after another, they're the first bumpers ever that, like, sound good, sound like a thing when you play them all together. It's kind of cool. Uh, that's kind of meta. Oh, It yeah. takes you on a journey. Yeah. When,
0: when I heard the first one, I was going to say, man, our fans have a lot more musical talent than the rest of us.
1: They sure fucking <laughs> do. They <laughs> sure uh, do. I'm a critic. I'm not supposed to make music.
3: And that just ended. and it said number five. So I guess that means we move on.
1: Yeah, it's number five. But yeah, the
3: Dave's mom level is still, still available. MG, yeah, Marianne. Still- <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? I'm saying that number five is urge overkill
3: with back on me. Wait, one more thing to Marianne. Uh, for yeah. God's sake! You know, maybe you know, a little less golf, a little more giving to our podcast. You know what my mom said about it? Or I give her a little, or, or she or play said a little
0: better and win a, some scratch, yeah. a little
2: monthly scratch to kick our way. My mom actually said, "I don't know what's funnier, if you have one or
3: none." <laughs> I think it's so funny. She's doing a bit. Yeah. Marianne, start buying generic. (laughs) We need that filled. We need that slot filled. She's on a fixed income. Okay. It's a a beautiful retirement community, though. Sorry, it is. It's real nice. Maybe she wants to
0: date with Hollywood Steve. (laughs) No.
2: No. She's saving up. No, I don't want that as my stepdad. All right. Now I go join
0: my dad before that happens. (laughs) Hey, Dave, do you remember when we saw this band in concert? Yes, you took
1: me for my 30th birthday. Oh, great. Steve, who is this? It's Urge Overkill (laughs) with Back on Knee. And And they played this song. It's about fucking time one of us figured out how to get Urge Overkill into a countdown. Absolutely. Because the album this is from, Saturation, I think is one of the great forgotten classic albums of the alternative era is because the band was aiming at stylish, swaggering, kind of arena rock. And they were aiming that at an audience that largely did not respond well to that kind of overt ambition. Like, if you're an ironic 90s slacker, you're not supposed to try to have hit records and be rock stars. You're supposed to feel super guilty about it, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam.
0: And they've dressed real snappy, too. Yeah, they were,
1: very, they were, they were sharp-dressed hipsters. And that
2: is not something that went well in the mid-90s.
1: No. You're supposed to wear flannel and look like a lumberjack.
2: My buddies and I dressed up like Urge Overkill and went to a Nirvana concert. We all had matching maroon tuxedo jackets, black turtlenecks, and Urge Overkill pendants. And so many
3: assholes wanted to kick kick our asses, but they didn't. No, they it was didn't. A Nirvana so you probably show. put a little bit of joy in their heart.
0: That
3: yeah. was depressing. Well, I got it. It gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> You know what breaks my heart?
1: You can easily find this CD used for like $4 max. Nobody properly rates this except for my erstwhile employer, the All Music Guide, which bumped it up to an essential five-star classic. Some years back, it's absolutely accurate. Here. Can't you find any CD for four dollars these days? No, because I still buy them, and I can tell you that they're not all four dollars. Some of them are two dollars. <laughs>
3: Many of them are seven or eight. Some of them are holding up the the, the wonky end of your table. Yeah. I actually went to the the Rose Bowl flea market a few years back, and I like tried to buy a bunch of CDs. from you were and, some, some, crappy, <laughs> some crappy table, yeah. And I was like, I, p- I picked up like five CDs, and they were like twenty five dollars. I was like, what? I thought there was like a dollar each. And he's like, hey man, this isn't no Goodwill. <laughs> Come on, it's CDs. Yeah, yeah.
1: You, you can get them online. Yeah, I get a lot of them online.
2: Uh, got a real depressing story about this song. Please
1: tell your depressing story for this song,
2: Dave. In high school, my friend was watching his neighbor's house. Your buddy. Your buddy. You know what? I went way out of my way not to name names, but I'll do it. My buddy Johnny was watching his neighbor's house <laughs> while they were on vacation. They had a pool, and uh, we went over to swim with another pal, my best friend Dave. Your buddy. When I decided to shoot in the pool, my best friend wanted to see it, so he watched underwater with goggles. That's the best way to get the view. Johnny got real upset, and he wouldn't let us swim there anymore. Not that we wanted to, because the bull had shit in it. We'd seen urge overkill the night before, and we were both wearing our concert t-shirts.
1: Oh, so it ties in, even.
2: Yeah. Six years later, Johnny uh, ended our friendship abruptly when I flew to Los Angeles, drove to San Francisco to visit him, and he skipped town in the middle of the night to try to tag along with a girl that had no interest in him. he left me in San Francisco without any warning after ten years of friendship, what really depresses me is that underwater filming technology was not yet readily available to teenagers at the time of our pool party, because that would have been a great link for Tim Malcolm's notes. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs>
0: that was, look, there was a little casual libel in there. There was? Just a little, just
3: touch a little i mean not nothing really ca- illegal not really casual because he he wrote it down and he read it back. very
1: carefully he's not he's and not misremembering something off the top of his uh, head and this is basically how it happened from your side
3: of the story so in other words johnny did turn his back on you he really did uh is that it is that it steve um yeah i guess so <laughs> the best i'm
2: thoughts. sure the rest of his paragraphs will come back in a later episode
1: <laughs> this is the replacements with skyway at number four big star was the number one artist in part one of my ache survey and there were no bigger big star disciples in indyland than the replacements Uh, Paul Westerberg started his songwriting career as a snotty punk, but eventually found a route to actual emotional vulnerability, kind of what we were hoping Dave would do with his uh, story segments here. He copied uh, Big Star's quintessentially achy ballad style for a few of these a few times on the Replacements efforts. Skyway is my favorite effort of his in that vein, even though it's only about two minutes long. So we'll probably have to restart it like we have every other song here. Uh, This is from Please to Meet Me, which is the third in the Replacements trilogy of truly essential albums following Let It Be and Tim. Um, To me, they're one of those bands whose sound has been so widely copied that the original records don't always carry the same impact that they did in their day because they don't sound like revelations anymore.
2: It's like watching the Police Academy movies. You have to watch them in order. It's true. <laughs> Where the fuck's Mahoney in this one? Exactly. He huh. stopped at four. Look <laughs> like at Dick. Uh, apparently, Hunter didn't start appreciating the replacements so well, until, well into his twenties. Wait,
0: I I don't have to, don't you don't read my stuff.
3: That's my. Stuff. It was a love. Well, because I, you, yeah, you I said. I was making didn't... an Instagram video, so I was I was tuned out. But man, our fans are gonna love seeing that preview of the ache part two. <laughs> yeah, I got some. Uh, I've been uh, making uh, uh, little videos
2: of uh, steve twirling his his junk down there <laughs> you know At the headphone cord i Betcha got like, the patreons you yeah know, i got I, like 30 minutes of it i That's wasn't going to advertise read my, for my
0: date i wasn't going to read my thing because steve made a snide comment about how he's had to restart all of his songs i was just going to let him do his thing so we didn't have to restart the song
1: no you know. didn't have to do it it wasn't supposed to be snide It's a two minute song it's a hard song yeah, to yeah. We're, yeah. Gonna, we're gonna go through it three four times yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, I didn't start appreciating the replacements until well into my 20s. We know. I I don't consider that an oversight. To all the people jaded by hipsterdom, it's never too late to discover a legendary band and obsess over them to the point of annoyance.
1: And it's I I, I like Like that you... I like that you got into them and what? did obsess over them because I hear a lot like people who discover their replacements late, don't they don't necessarily have that impact on people. Really? Yeah, that's yeah that's what I was
3: saying before. I, like, they don't sound like revelations because so many people have yeah. copied the oh, style now. I've never discovered these guys, but I've I heard of them in a They Might Be Giant song called "Hi Were the Replacements. It sounds very sarcastic, like they're making fun of the replacements. Uh, High were the replacements and we're playing in a rock and roll. Ball. really it's about any band touring they're not making fun of the replacements specifically but it's a good song you should listen to it it's why i know who the replacements are they even call out uh that's why he knows who they say hey there's a lyric uh hey where's tommy someone find tommy we're out on the road referring to replacement tommy stinson so at least they do know who's in the band
0: yeah, Tommy Stinson good was job, on guys. He's
3: in the band, good job, they might be
0: giants Yeah, Tommy Stinson was on Chinese Democracy Good for him Great Oh boy
1: this, this here is another uh, unrequited crush song in the I'm Bad With Girls subgenre. Uh, it's about a girl he sees every day commuting, but he can't talk to her. And when he finally gets his one fleeting chance at the end of the song, he completely flubs it, which is very relatable to the likes of me. He's also wearing a stupid hat, which is an essential part of my personal style back when I, when I lived in a wintry climate in Michigan. Steve? Yes. Would you
2: uh, describe to me your personal style then versus
1: now? It's pretty much the same, except that there was winter, so in the winter I would wear a black trench coat and an attention-grabbing hat. Also, so it's hat. Also, <laughs> yes, it's hat.
2: Also, the uh, Detroit Red Wings' 1992 championship shirts have given away to Cub shirts.
1: Can I have a 92? All? I don't. 97, care. 98, 02, and 08 or 9. I guess. You are. You are. Considering the fact that I might
2: care about the can, year.
3: Can, hey, <laughs> hey, 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 guys, guys. Yeah, what's up? Can I, can I have all the fun facts about the Skyway? Can yes, I have them please. All? Okay. Oh, it's America's... Uh, yeah. So, Tell us about the Skyway, Great Wall of China. So, Minneapolis, where the replacements are from, has the longest continuous Skyway system in the world. It connects all the downtown, well, a lot of the downtown buildings, over 69 blocks yeah, and 11 modern miles modern of walkway. Yeah, okay. modern marvel. It encourages pedestrian traffic in this really cold-weather city. It's really incredible. Everything is connected. It's like if you walk through the city on the streets, you see on the second or third floor of every building is this walkway going across. And you can go from one side of the city to another totally indoors. Um... But like the song says, they don't move like the subway. You gotta walk. And I once used it with my brothers just for kicks during my wedding week. Yeah. Uh, any other questions about the Skyway, guys?
2: No, nope, but I will tell you, I've got nothing depressing to say about uh, Minneapolis because oh, that's where your wedding was. And it was wonderful. Yeah, I I have a achy part of the Skyway. Oh?
0: Every now and again, it smells like farts. That were you, you and were you with me? It's enclosed for a really long period of time. and You can't escape it for a little while. It's like while. being in an
2: airplane. You're gonna breathe in farts.
3: Another thing about Minneapolis. Uh, shout out to my boys Ron Gerber and Mason and 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 Joel and Prince and uh, buddies. Uh, Joel and Joel and, and Chuck. Uh, my buddy uh, Garrison Keeler, KFAI FM, uh, to th- Puckett. Listen to their shows. Crap from the past and Cruise Control. Cruise Control is loosely a yacht rock show, and uh, it blows Sirius's shitty yacht rock channel out of the water. Good yeah, job, Mason. Their show is incredible.
1: This is Pulp with Disco Two Thousand. Uh, Pulp's thin, lanky, bespectacled lead singer Jarvis Cocker shot to pop stardom in the UK with the persona of a brainy, working-class pervert proving once and for all that the United States was wrong to revolt against British culture. After Blur and Oasis, Pulp was the next most popular Britpop band of the 90s, and the album this song is from, Different Class, is generally regarded as a masterpiece of British rock. It is. Uh, and it's a great song. Idiot, yeah, it's I, great. I always thought this sounded
0: like Laura Branigan's Gloria to me. Yeah, like, the opening riff, uh, definitely. Uh, 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 but, I, but listening to it again and consciously seeing the title Disco 2000, I'm 100% positive that that was on purpose,
2: and I'm a dullard. Uh, Laura Branigan's song Gloria would make a great punk cover. This one would
3: not doo doo yeah. no, no, wop, doo doo wop, yeah, do do wop. No, no, you're doing it too. wrong. It doesn't fit. What? Oh. You,
2: you never, you never really got new wop, did you? Never did.
3: Mm-hmm. No, More fun either. facts. Shower me with fun facts. All right, this was a top ten hit in the UK.
1: It's the story of Jarvis's unrequited childhood crush on his friend Deborah. She was popular and good looking, as he says in the lyrics. She was the first girl at school to get dressed. Uh, Jarvis was firmly in what the internet likes to call the zone. firmly, firmly. Uh, they were indeed friends, though. He knows he can't have her, but he's so into her still that he into her. Propose, he proposes they meet up far in the future when they're all grown up, because he'd likely still be into her. Mm-hmm. And maybe up. maybe her taste in men will have changed.
3: Taste, taste. in men. <laughs> <laughs>
1: By the time of the meetup, she's married meet with up. kids. Kids. Wow. Wonder how that happens. Uh, so he can't, he can't have her for much different reasons now that she has kids. He still wants to see her anyway. Invites her to bring the baby with her, and that's what. <laughs> True unrequited love is all about. And this is also a fantasy scenario I used to relate strongly to during my younger days of mostly unrequited crushes on fascinating women. So I'm, like, I'm not going to be that appealing until everybody's old enough to change their taste of men. Old!
2: Taste. in. <laughs> Tell your story, you're just gonna sit there, smart guy. Yeah, this song reminds me of a party I went to in college. We we're heading down Alton on our way back from a punk house show. We stopped at a random party, mostly because we were out of beer. I did this on purpose for effect. Gravitas. It, it wasn't a very good party, mostly because there was no beer. There were a lot of nerds there. We did see a backpack under a table and assumed it had oh, booze fuck in
3: it. You.
2: <laughs> We got the backpack outside without anyone seeing us, only to find out it only contained some notes, a checkbook, and a weird Al Yankovic autograph for some reason. <laughs> we threw the checkbook in the yard and walked home. The sadness that ensued due to the lack of alcohol in our systems was really depressing and sticks with me to this day.
1: <laughs> I didn't even read that in advance. What? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Do your job, Steve. I did my job. I wrote a bunch of shit for this song and then left it. Uh, I want to talk about why Jarvis Cocker became a sex symbol in England. Uh, even though he wrote a bunch of songs about his weird sexual obsessions, uh, he was able to do two things. Number one, he conveyed a genuine fascination with these women as human beings that he also happened to want to bang. And he also was able to articulate the intense emotions he felt for them, intertwined with, but not necessarily limited to sex. I have a theory that women feel about emotions the way men feel about boobs. If women could really genuinely catcall men, they'd say, like, show me your feelings. I'll give you some beads. Or like, take it off. And by it, I mean your emotional armor. Dave. Mm -hmm. I I disagree. You disagree? Yeah, how so?
3: In doses. I think women like you for your personality. <laughs> Good job. I was trying to counter or something.
1: I have an epilogue about Deborah. Uh-huh. There really was a Deborah. Uh, her name was Deborah Bone. She grew up to be an award-winning mental health nurse. I didn't shout Bone. I didn't shout Bone. That's a shame. Bone. Deborah Bone was awarded an MBE that's member of the Order of the British Empire for her contributions to the field of mental health. And Jarvis Cocker came and sang Disco 2000 to her at her 50th birthday party. I, I still party. haven't shouted Cocker. What the fuck are you doing over there? Sorry, I'm sleeping. Yeah, I tuned out. I want to give a depressing ending. Uh, Within a year of her 50th birthday, Deborah passed away due to uh, bone marrow cancer. And you can read her blog at mymyelomajourney.wordpress.com if you're not depressed enough. Steve!
2: Deborah Bone died of bone cancer?
1: Mar- bone marrow. Yeah. That's that, is like- a,
2: that is a fun fact. That's like Lou Gehrig dying of Lou Gehrig.
0: Yeah,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> no
0: one
2: saw it coming? Come on. Not a single one. <laughs> I think it might have been her marriage name.
3: <laughs> Sucking out the funny. One joke at a time. Like the marrow. Well, I think cancer was her adult disease.
2: That was the best one to just leave hanging there.
1: Number two is R.E.M. with Night Swimming. Almost all of this album, Automatic for the People, could qualify for an eight playlist. Uh, It's easily the most... Emotionally and lyrically direct record In their catalog I think this is the crowning jewel of it It's a beautiful reminiscence about small town Skinny dipping That accurately captures my late high school Early college years experiences Living in a smallish Mostly rural hometown And it's not easy to find an R.E.M. song That makes this much literal sense Amen Trust me uh pretty
0: much all these songs but particularly this one i i watched on 120 minutes and i feel like this used to wrap up a lot of those shows like super late um and they always played that green underwater swimming video with partial nudity I, and i'm not sure thinking about it now if there was any nudity in it but at 14 you can turn anything
3: into nudity nice yeah especially squiggles on the TV yeah oh, yeah a and e you guys watch a and e when you were like, they'd show the movie Hair in the middle of the night, and there'd be boobs and butts. In there. Oh no, yeah, I, I didn't like know about Beverly that. Beverly D'Angelo, may have yeah, flashed half a nip. No, like full-on boobage, man. A and E didn't give a fuck. You could you could record it and watch the nudity. Anyway, listen, I'm I'm bearing the lead here because this is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's fucking great. Yeah, I was a huge nutballs REM freak when I was in junior high and high school. I still kind of am. It's such a great band. I got this CD for some Christmas in high school. I think it might have been my freshman Christmas. And it was just a beautiful, I just remember it was a beautiful, snowy winter at my parents' house. It was warm and full of Christmas joy. And this song was about swimming in the summer. It takes me back every time to my hometown. And I I even learned to play it on the piano a little bit. Barely. barely, I like that it
1: makes you ache for a home full of warmth. Oh, it's
3: unbelievable. It's what this song does to me. No joke. I have no joke. Mm.
1: Not to strive. Ernest, I want to ask, uh, when was the last time any of you went skinny dipping? Mine was the summer of 1998 at the Breadloaf School of English at Middlebury College in Vermont.
3: Uh, anybody? Is anybody else? Oh, more remember? sincerity. Mine was a couple years ago. Oh, the weekend of my friend Mark's funeral. Oh, yeah, a bunch of us dudes we got in the water, buck naked. It was the end of September and it was freezing, but it was totally worth it to relive the memory. Mark's. Uh, Mark's house had access to Lake Michigan Beach, his neighborhood did. So we went there all the time in high school, bonfires, sleeping on the beach, and it often included swimming naked, uh, mostly just dudes. But one time, one time, Mark's older brother brought his girlfriend, we were like 14. Brought and his she, mom. She was like 20. She had such an amazing body. What a cruel thing to do to 14-year-olds, to this perfect woman to prance around in front of us. Oh. I ache. I ache for that. I had but, a... I still, I still get to see an awesome naked woman all the time. Yeah.
1: Congratulations.
2: Thank you. Nicely done. Um, I had a really great skinny dipping story at my best friend's wedding. Uh, he got married near a lake, and we all went down to the lake afterwards. But most recently, I would say, would be at my friend Dell's house uh, while he was gone for uh, the holiday. <laughs> uh, don't tell him. Uh, but before that, it was about a year ago at the standard rooftop pool on a dare. And I think I probably caught chlamydia from that giant fucking petri dish they call a swimming pool at
3: the Standard. Wait, you catch. You had, did you have chlamydia last year? I, you can't get that from pools. I think you and your wife need to have a conversation. You clearly have not seen the pool at the Standard.
2: <laughs> I remember when he had chlamydia, he called it the ache. <laughs> well, to be completely honest, I've never had chlamydia, and the people oh. at the Standard
1: kicked me out for my little stunt,
2: and I got real depressed on the way home.
1: Uh, Oh, you're tying it in. It's your story. Okay. Great job. Great job. Thank you.
3: Rosen, this is a perfect album. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it it's, really it's is. great. It's my favorite REM album. Uh, my second favorite is the underrated New Adventures in Hi-Fi. Uh, their album Up is my lullaby album. I can always fall asleep to it. I could talk. Let's just talk about REM all day long.
2: My favorite REM record would have to be Saturation, it was not, which not was REM. actually by Urge Overkill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think people should uh, go check that one out. It's a five dollar album right there. CD, what? excuse
0: me. Yeah, yeah vinyl. It's a lot more. Anything else? I I wanted
1: to quick mention the line here about uh, how nervous Michael Stipe is. They cannot see me naked. Uh, That was very much my feeling when we would go skinny dipping at the lake on the outskirts of town that was kind of near my friend's property. Uh, I regret that I was not comfortable enough with that until well after I had no more opportunities to hang out at that lake or go skinny dipping. Uh, It's very disappointing But I have very fond memories of those years And those people because I lived on the honors floor For most of my time at college Hardly anybody drank I did almost all my partying with my friends Back home So I love and miss those times And it gives me an ache The ache
3: The ache The ache The ache. Uh, The ache Yeah. yeah. Boom a bit. A boom a bit.
1: Number one. <sighs> it's the granddaddy of them all. The achiest song from the best album of the 90s on the short list of best albums of all time. The achiest ache that ever ached an ache. And it's impossible to overstate how good OK Computer is. It's hard to say much about it that hasn't been said already. This is my personal favorite song from it. It's Let Down by Radiohead, of course. Um, The general theme of the album is the isolation and alienation of our technology-ridden modern lives. This song is about being in a sea of commuters all going to their crap jobs where their lives will all be crushed like powerless insects feeling totally alienated from any glimmer of humanity in all of it nothing is more disappointing than adulthood the narrator is so far gone he can't even look back fondly anymore it's the logical end point when even the feeling of the ache dies inside of
3: you And it's what we have to look forward to in the next four years. Do you guys remember when Coachella was awesome? Yeah. I do. Yeah, I went 94, oh, 2004. 94, that was Lollapalooza year. Yeah. But it was 94, I had a great time. Yeah, I I went to that one when we camped out. Yeah, and that's when Hunter saw Kraftwerk. It is. Yeah, Um, Yeah, Pixies
1: Pixies was there. And and I sat
3: at home and loaned somebody a vehicle to to drive there. Stop taking
0: his story. Yeah,
3: come on. Our friend Nigel, the guy who played Vincent Price's boyfriend in Yacht Rock, He gave me some edible weed, and I had been in the heat drinking beer all day, so I got really sleepy and sick. I went back to the the tent during work, Radiohead. I was freaking out. Sorry, Tom York. Missed your show. Oh, I was wondering. You said, sorry, Tom, on there, and I wasn't sure who that was referring to. Tom York. I
1: didn't spell it right.
3: I didn't put the H in there. Yeah.
1: That was my next question. (laughs) Right. Da- Dave and I once played trivia against Tom York at a hipster taco bar in Silver Lake. Dave, you weren't there. No, I actually, I actually
2: wasn't there. And oh, sure that thats your legendary. I story, am Steve. That. That's I all am you. Sure, that's why you.
1: I played, lost. I played trivia oh, a lot with you around that time. I yeah. guess I just filled in. The he was at the Dinosaur
0: Junior concert with me. Yeah, it
1: was a good time. Tom York's team beat us by one fucking point. And I want a rematch.
3: We all want to hang out with Tom York again. We all want a second chance at Tom York. We all ache for our lost moment with Tom York. I have a Tom York moment from that. Uh, There was a trivia question about some
1: European capital that was built on top of a dormant volcano. The answer was Edinburgh. And like any proper Englishman, Tom York burst out angrily. Edinburgh's... Or no, Scotland is not a country. So it didn't count as a capital. That was my Tom York story. Dave's pointing at something he wants Hunter to read. What did you want me to read? I wanted you to bring up the Clueless thing. Oh, okay. Set up a whole...
0: Hey, anyone remember in Clueless when Radiohead plays in the background and Alicia Silverstone says, what's with college and crybabies? She was the
2: original alt-right and she won. I remember the boss tones in Clueless. I was in college and I was on the pre-university channel in the background. I abruptly stopped right in the middle of what I was doing because I was so surprised to hear the Boston's on TV outside of a Converse commercial.
3: What were you doing, Dave?
2: I was giving a young
3: lady chlamydia. (laughs) The ache. There you
2: go. Part two. That was the whole setup based solely on you reading what you had written. Very well rehearsed. Stop doing that. Because yeah. usually I'm just I just lose
0: interest. Don't read any of my stuff. That's what i I do don't too, give a fuck. I, I ache- should
3: have you know what I ache for? I ache for when I understood Radiohead. This is the last moment I understood them, this this album, and it's all been knockballs since really? then. Yeah, they got very avant garde after. I don't this. get it anymore. Actually
0: the, the next uh, No this is no it. no two two with the but then, Kid you know, A and Amnesiac. The, came after the this one. uh Hail to the Thief is very was very anti Bush.
3: You expect me to go back to you after yeah, you give me Kid like a, a and amnesiac? I'm That's not like going bringing back. bringing up
2: no effects is the war on errorism. What? No, they're, anyway. it's all great.
0: I don't know. I can't guys, guys, I guys, don't make guys make anymore. It. I wish don't Dustin
3: wanna... was here. He would have hey, stormed in here. They were great their first two albums, and they turned avant-garde, but everybody still kept saying these guys are genius, but they're just making a bunch of dumb noise. Yeah. Uh. Out. Guys, oh, I want <laughs> to... I like. Oh, I genius. think acapella music is okay. How do you think I'm going to feel about avant-garde radio? Right. Huh. Before, Dave's, before Dave tells
1: a story, getting back to how this album is genius, I want to point out two number one placements. On the crowdsource site, rateyourmusic.com, this is the top-rated album of all time. Uh, and also, because my buddy, my sister, Amy, used to sync her iPod <laughs> to my iTunes... <laughs> ...and was obsessed with depressing music, Let Down has the highest play count of any song in my iTunes library. And in fact, thanks to her, the entire first page on iTunes of most played songs is all Radiohead, except for Boots Randolph's Yakety Sax. (laughs) (laughs) That was for me! I learned it for your wedding on the sax. I played it. On that happy note,
2: I want to tell you the most depressing story I have, because it just happened to me over Christmas. A lot of people get depressed over the holidays. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they do. But I dreamt that my mom moved onto a small yacht. Like, not a big, big fucking boat, but something small. Like, like so it was a wet dream. Tony Soprano would uh, take out. I was visiting for holidays. Everybody told me I had to meet this great neighbor in the next slip. When, I fin- when he finally came over for drinks, I was horrified to find out that the neighbor was none other than Jimmy Buffett. Mm -hmm. And he hung out every night.
0: It was a wet dream.
2: The worst part of the dream, the part that really fucking depressed me, we really got along, and in my dream, he was a really cool guy. Some tough stuff to talk about, Thanks for sharing, Dave.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I have no idea how this got on the playlist, but it's on here. Um... It's pavement. Cut your hair. No idea why this is on here. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't but it's a. I think, that it's a at all. I think it's a. I think it's a really. I don't. Honestly, no idea. I I haven't ever listened to this song on Spotify. It just showed up in the, the playlist. It, I think it works. Yeah, it's a great way. It's a nice upbeat indie song to get us out of this yeah. thing. Um, I just threw my paper on the ground. So who wants to? Oh, what do we miss today? I got one. First of all, you guys gave me nothing on that Jimmy Buffett story. I think you kind of sandbagged it. I think he could have
2: built it up. Anyway, I was waiting for Sammy Hagar to come in and you start. That
1: would have been great. going skiing on. Uh, yeah, and just me. Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, what? Are, okay, the ache 2. What didn't make the list? Yeah. One of my favorite bands is an indie band named Jawbreaker. I brought him up when Steve was describing emo. They have a song called Ache. I think it may have really fit this list <laughs> along with 80% of uh, the rest of their songs. Check them out. I really like Sparta,
0: The Other at the Drive-In. Uh and uh, they
3: had a couple achy songs like "Error Collapse or maybe something like Postal Service. Uh, who knows? Yeah, for me, after two episodes of The Ache, I think you nailed it, Steve. I think it covered everything. Sweet. So, I want to say one last thing uh, <laughs> as Dave
1: cringes. Dave, you told some wonderful stories today. Thank you. You've also used depressed as a synonym for sad, which is not technically the case, but I wanna say you are the most socially adept of all of us in this room. And I think the fact that you don't really have depression issues probably has something to do with that because people need each other. People who are introverted or socially anxious or whatever, they need the human connection and they don't know how to get it. You're good at getting it, And I think it shows in your your mental health so I think uh well thank you people you know people out there who are depressed because they can't they just remember to try and connect with people even if it feels terrible and awkward and you hate yourself and you want to hide still keep putting in the effort because it'll be good for you in the long run yeah, or contribute to our Patreon. So it'll make you feel better.
3: <laughs> I also don't. I don't buy this. Dave isn't depressed theory because I just heard ten super depressing stories yeah. from Dave. Sad. He has a hard, hard life. Yeah. A lot of issues he has to deal with. Uh, pooped I pooped in he a fucking pool. Dreamed he was friends with Jimmy Buffett. He's not a depressive. Guys, dream I, had a, pretty I nice. had a package
2: delivered to my neighbor. And he has a gate, and I had to go through this whole bullshit. I had another thing FedEx won't deliver wine without a signature, and I had to go downtown like during Christmas. Man, it's my life is not easy.
3: I think that next week's genre is a perfect genre to get us out of this malaise we've been in so far this season. It's uh, I call it the gleam, it's the gleam, and it's it's depressing bands that it's
2: it's when bands like this make a really happy song.
3: Yeah, so we're really it's a perfect antidote. We're going to pick ourselves up. Uh, I found my paper. I can read the credits. Find this week's The, Aches, the Ache Part 2 playlist by following JD Riznar on Spotify. Go to yachtrock.com to buy t shirts. Read the captain's blog. See show notes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm. He always posts fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Follow JD at JD Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow David, David underscore B underscore lines, Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Those reviews, they help us pick up heat, make us a bigger deal of a podcast, and then you, you'll have friends to talk about us with. Yeah, and it makes us feel not sad slash depressed. We'll do more happy things if we become the number one podcast. Thanks to Chris Gray <laughs> and Peter James for sending in those bumpers, werewolf. Additional bumpers by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Themes, I should say. The, the, they got to fix that. Recorded today by our good friend Matt Brousseau. Woo! Thanks to Dustin, Jason, Noah, Kristen, and the entire Feral Audio family. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. When's the ache part three? I haven't got that yet. So excited. Feral Audio.